0: Well, I told Vernon over here, he stole some of my thunder this morning because uh, he's already talked a little bit about a few of the things that I'm going to talk about, but it won't hurt to repeat. I hear that you're supposed to hear things like 10 times before you actually learn it. So maybe by the end of the seminar, you'll at least learn one thing because several of us maybe have repeated it. Uh, Over to the, well, the little blue building, that is our churches. And wouldn't it be wonderful if, if all were welcome here? But that's not always the case, is it? Nearly 600, uh, 650,000 adults released from American prisons every year. Their, their uh, return to the community <coughs> needs housing, their, their needs are housing, jobs, but their chances of finding these are really, really bleak because the majority of prisoners have not even completed high school. Uh, They about three-fourths of them have a history of substance abuse. More than a third of them have a physical or mental disability. Let's see, I'm a little bit behind, aren't I? Have a substance abuse. Now, forgive me if I'm not totally on this because this is my first time to do a PowerPoint in front of anybody except for my ladies' Bible class, and I've only done that three times. So I'm still learning, and Carol's not letting me use my own computer. She made me do a flash drive, which I'm like... She said, "If you got one, I says, why would I have one? I don't know how to use it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm still learning. So, right. forgive me if I'm a little behind. We'll catch up eventually, and you can see the cute pictures. Uh, close to a third of them, three fourths of them, have a history of substance abuse, and more than a third of them have a physical and/or mental disability." And like the man said this morning, if you don't have a a mental disability whenever you get to prison, you might have when you get out. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good possibility. These inmates go to the poorest uh, nation's neighborhoods where a lot of times they don't have any stable members to help them. And like uh, Vernon said this morning, a lot of times a daughter and, and mother go to prison together, a husband and wife go together, and so there's a lot of, of people that are involved in the same type of thing so when they get out they don't have anywhere to go because their family may well be in prison too. So given the huge gap between the complex challenges and their limited opportunities for addressing them, it's not surprising that recidivism rates are really, really high. Now I got my statistics uh, some, uh, most of them I got from the, the Federal um, Bureau of Corrections or whatever. So anyway, uh, the Bureau of Justice Statis- Statistics had only one study that tracked 400, 600, 404,638 prisoners in 30 states after their release in 2005. The researchers found out of these 404,638 that within three years, about two-thirds of them, 67.6% actually were rearrested. <coughs> Within five years of the release, about three-fourths or 766 of the prisoners were rearrested. And then of the ones that were rearrested, about three-fourths of them, 76.6%, <coughs> I mean, I'm sorry, of these that were rearrested, more than one-half of them, 56.7% were arrested at the end of the first year, by the end of the first year. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot. There was another study that showed half, like 52 percent of former state prisoners are back behind bars either as a result of parole violation or they've committed a new crime. So guess what? The, ta- the cost to, to us taxpayers are enormous. Overall the United States spends more than 60 billion dollars a year on prisons and jails. billion. Now, I know that's not as much as the Congress spends on their lavish spending, but still, that's a lot. It costs more than $23,000 to incarcerate someone in a federal prison for one year. And it costs about $3,500 for probation for one year. But incarceration in a state prison can be as high as $45,000 a year per inmate. That is a lot. That's a lot. The number of Americans behind bars have increased steadily and now includes more than 2.3 million men and women. And the, the, the fact, the, the, this fact really, really startles me. Ninety-five percent of the people in prison today will eventually return to communities. You know, most of them, it doesn't scare me, but there's a few that I've met that it's going to scare me when they get out. Yeah. We've got a death row inmate in Nashville. And uh, when I have had my first round of cancer, she sent me a card, and really, really sweet. I love you, Tammy. We all love you, and I love you the most and all this. But you know what? If I saw her in a dark alley, I'd be a little nervous. Yeah. So, you know, as you can see something needs to change because our current prison system is not rehabilitating people. The recidivism rate is overwhelming. The cost of housing inmates is outrageous, but what can we do about it? You know, we go into the prisons and and we teach the Bible. We have worship, worship services. We baptize men and women. However, when we baptize someone, it's just the beginning. And I don't know if, I know some of you were over in the basses um, class, tubs, basses were over there too though, I saw them, the tubs, <laughs> but they were talking about this, you know, so many times, and this happens even in the church, not just in the prisons, when we baptize someone, whew, well, we got them dunked, we're, we're good, we've done our job, no that's when it just begins that's when it just begins you gotta keep teaching, gotta keep teaching. that's right uh, my my nephew has just he and his wife just had a baby in January and I get to keep her and I'm here with you all instead of there with her today so it tells you how much I want to be here but anyway <laughs> when a baby is born you know the mom and dad don't say well she's here we've done our job and then just let the baby go do they no they feed the baby they protect the baby they nurture the baby they diaper the baby all these things yeah and you know my great niece she is is teething now and it's really fun now because I'm like this all day and just you know (laughs) and it's fine to do that to these cute little babies but you know what when someone is born in Christ, we, all, we still have to feed these young people, these young babies in Christ. It doesn't matter. You know, I taught special education for 27 years. And you know, when you see these cute little special ed kids and they're doing these things and you're like, oh, you know, drooling, well, that's not that bad. And then when you see an adult and they're drooling and all this and you're like, ooh. You know, and I won't go into all the things that I've been through and done that's pretty disgusting. But you know what? They need that. And it doesn't matter that the person, the baby in Christ, may be 75 years old. They're still a baby in Christ. And we still have to take care of these people. We have to nurture them. We have to continue to teach them. We have to do all this stuff. And yes, we were talking about in the Bass's class how it is hard when they're still in prison. You can't do as much because, like Naomi said, in Tennessee, we have a lot of restrictions. Now, maybe where you're working, you don't have that many restrictions, and thank goodness for that if you don't. But we have a lot of restrictions. But we're going to talk a little bit in in, in a minute what we can do after they get out. So we have to support them. We have to take care of them. We have to nurture them. Now, we already said that most of the people who are incarcerated, 95% will go back to communities when they get out. In Tennessee, there's two state women's prisons, and I work in the, in the Tennessee women's prison. Uh, we come to Mark Luttrell. Um, this year I didn't get to come because I had the stomach virus. But we come up here and do it, but most of our work is in uh, Tennessee Prison for Women in Nashville. But when they get out of one of these two programs, they get one set of clothes. They get a one-way bus ticket to wherever they need, wherever they're going, and they get a $30 check. Now, Vernon said they got 35 now. That's what I was about to say, because that's, that's discrimination. Yeah, and it may be. They Naomi, do you know if they get more than 30 now? Yeah. You got a hundred? They have dropped so much, but that's been seven years Uh huh. Thomas told me thirty. I, I think it's thirty-five. 35. You think it's 35 I what I was okay. thirty five now? Okay. Okay. All right. So I am behind. They get thirty five dollars instead of thirty. <laughs> Anything you want. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's a check. Now, if someone gave you these three things and you don't have a home, you don't have a car, you don't, you don't have, you know, any kind of identification, how many of us would be successful? No. No. And I even have a college degree. And I still couldn't make it. It's ridiculous. That's right. So unless someone actually has help on the outside, there, it's going to be almost impossible for them to be successful. The prisons are setting them up to be failures Amen. when they first get out. Amen. So, so that's bringing more responsibility on, on the church, on us. You know the church is the people, right? It's not the building? Mm-hmm. Okay, So it's putting all kinds of responsibility on us. So if a person doesn't have somebody on the outside it's almost impossible. Now, let me tell you about this $30 check. I, let me go back. About this $30 check, or $35 now. They, I guess inflation has raised it up to $35. Uh, you know, they've got a $35 check. Now, if you've been in prison for more than four years, guess what? And maybe you've just been in there one year, but you only have one year left on your driver's license, then you don't have some identification when you get out. If they haven't lost it, like the man said this morning. Uh Uh-huh. So now then, in order to get identification, you've got to a lot of times get your birth certificate. I don't think they give you a driver's license without a birth certificate. So you have to get a birth certificate. Chances are, if you've been in prison, you don't have your birth certificate. You don't know where it is. And if you don't have contact with your mother, who might know where it is and might not, then you're up a creek. Okay, so in order to get a Tennessee birth certificate, you can go online... And within six to seven days, you can get a birth certificate for thirty dollars. That's going to leave you five dollars. But the thing is, you've got to have some kind of credit card or something to pay for it. That's that's exactly right. You don't have an address, know where to live, where are you going to send it? Exactly. Now in Kentucky, we're a lot nicer because our birth certificates are only nineteen fifty. But <laughs> In, t- in Kentucky. I live in Kentucky. I'm on the border of Tennessee and Kentucky. <coughs> so, but, but it takes 8 to 10 days to get it. So, you know. But to get this, a lot of times you also have to have a photo ID, a passport, some kind of something to get your birth certificate. Okay? So, look at how we're setting these, these people up for failure immediately. Now, after you get your birth certificate, then you can get your social security card. Wow. Yeah. And then, after they have their ID, after you get your social security card and your birth certificate, and you can get your driver's license or state ID, then you can cash your $30 check. Oh, that amount is over the $30 check. Amen. That's exactly right. Now, see how ridiculous this whole thing is? It's just ridiculous. Now, it's a little bit easier for men than it is women. And, and Naomi, did you talk about that in your class this morning? That's what I was thinking. A little bit easier for men than it is for women because there are caseworkers that go into the men's prisons and they help the men fill out the paperwork before they leave prison. And so when they're released, they have their identification and they can cash their checks. So they immediately get to go spend their $35. Yeah, where the women doesn't have theirs to spend until who knows when. Okay, so it's really, really hard if someone does not have help on the outside to get established back into the community. What else does somebody need? Oh, I'm behind again, sorry. What else does somebody need? The two most basic things everybody needs is a place to stay and a job. I, I work at the Tennessee Prison for Women. We go and have worship services once a month. But I've also started in Simpson County in Kentucky. Uh, we're teaching an anger management class. And so a lot of our guys are worried. Oh, my goodness, where are we going to go? Now, let me explain something. I work with one of our elders. We go in together. He teaches the Bible lessons. I grade the papers, you know, things like that. He does the teaching. I'm there for support. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, these guys, the first thing, where am I going to live? I don't know where, you know, and, and they don't have a place to live. Second thing, they don't have a job. Um, uh, we, have ba- we baptized one of the guys, or Mike did last fall, and he's getting out the end of July, and he says, I have a job as soon as I get home. I says, that is wonderful. That is amazing because I'm pen pals with him now. His class is over, so we're pen pals now. But every person who gets out, that's the two things they worry about, a job and housing. And like I said, a lot of people can't go back home because, you know what, their spouse is locked up too. They've lost their home. Their parents may be in there with them. I'll never forget the the year I went into Tennessee Prison for Women, and there was a mother and a daughter side by side in cells, you know? Wow, this is so sad, so sad. I can't imagine. I can imagine me being in prison, but I can't imagine my mother being in prison. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and a lot of times, you know, even if their parents are 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 not the kind kind of you know the drug addicts and stuff that that a lot of times gets people into prison, a lot of times the person has lied to the parents and the family so much that they just say, "Uh uh-uh, stay away. Stay away. We can't take anymore. You've told us you've changed and you've done it again and you've told us you've changed and and it's over and over and the parents finally just say we're wiping our hands. Yeah, that's it. And so these people don't have places to go. We need to try to help these former inmates find housing and jobs. Now, I don't know if any of you all heard Thomas earlier talk a little bit about our transition center that we're, we're getting ready to open in Nashville. I'm really, really excited about it. I'm sad because we don't get to travel federally anymore, but it's going to be an amazing program. We do so much. You know, we, there's probably all of us have been into prisons and taught the Bible. And that is so, it probably helps us as much or more than it does the people. However, what happens when they get out? So I'm going to give us some practical things that we might can do. And and we can't do it all ourselves, but each of us can do something. So, you know if there's people in your congregation that might have jobs that some of these these people can 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 do when they get out. Uh and you know a lot of times these these people in prison, they're a lot better at computers than I am. And if not, I feel sorry for them. <laughs> but but we can help them with jobs. We can ke- help them with housing. You know, a lot of times people in our congregations maybe have houses that they rent. That might be an option. Uh, so help them with jobs or housing, anything that we can to help them like that. Those that. Right. Well I'm not talking about apartment complexes. I'm talking about you know at one time I had a house that I rented out and you know there's options like that. Um, if if you've got like there was an older lady in our congregation who had two small apartments behind her house. You know things like that that are, are possible. I'm not talking about complexes. You're right there's a million things. and. And you have to be careful, too. Mama Cox was, was one of my mentors. I loved Mama Cox, and, and you all may not know her, but if you're from Tennessee, everybody loved Mama Cox. And she was my mentor. Um, and she, uh, she said, you know, there's only two type people that they will not let into halfway houses, in our Christian halfway houses. And I said, really? I'm thinking, wow, that's crazy. I said, what is it? And she says, arsonist. Because if somebody got mad and they're an arsonist, they'll burn the place down. Then nobody has a place to live. And sex offenders. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that makes it even harder. But um, but I'm, I wouldn't want to rent my house out to an arsonist, you know. And sometimes, you know, I, I, I'm pen pals with one of the guys in, in state prison now. And he just doesn't know why God has let all these bad things happen to him. And I says... Matthew. I said, yeah. I says, there's consequences for everything we do. And the reason you're where you are and the reason things are happening to you is because of things that you've done. Yeah. So anyway, back to this. A lot of people, when they get released, need transportation. And especially in the smaller communities. I live in a very small town. There's about 8,000 in Franklin. And I think that may include cats and dogs and fish. <laughs> and got a more. Do what? You got a little more. No, I'm not talking about Tennessee, I'm talking about Kentucky. Oh. Yes, yes. And then I think there may be about 15,000, fifteen, sixteen thousand in Simpson County. So it's a small place. So we don't have buses to transport people. It doesn't matter if they got a bus pass or not, 'cause there's no buses to use. You know. We, we might have a taxi, but it's mainly for the handicapped who has certain, I don't know. So, you know, when someone gets out, they may need us to take them different places. I know that the medical care is not very good in the prisons, not very good at all, or jails either. And so when someone gets out, they may have a lot of medical needs that they need to be taken care of pretty quickly. Uh, and you may need to take them to the doctor. For a while, you may need to take them to and from work. Um, they need transportation to church. We definitely want them there. Um, and for the bigger places, Memphis, Nashville, wherever, then get them bus passes. Uh, and and you know the main thing is don't give them money. You know Naomi touched on that this morning, uh, and I've been guilty of that. Um, and, and I've got a, a, a girl right now who has stolen over $100 from me. And I told finally, says, till you decide to pay me back and get your life right. She's a, a Christian. I said, till you get all that, don't just don't text me, don't call me, just leave me alone. And finally she has. And anyway, so they may need bus passes. Give them the bus pass. Don't give them money. Give them the bus pass. Drive them here or there. Don't give them money to get a taxi or whatever, drive them places, because we don't need to enable them. One thing that Naomi has taught me is that we've got to hold people accountable. You know, we've got to hold them accountable, and and if they're going to um, to do something, then they're going to have to pay the consequences, but try to make them be accountable, you know. Uh, I taught, especially ed. I said, for 27 years, 21 years was in high school, and my students would... No, Ms. Kurt, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I promise I didn't do that." I said, I saw you. <laughs> you know, my eyes were about the only good thing I got left. I saw you. <laughs> so, anyway, hold them accountable. They're going to need shoes and clothes. I mean, that one outfit that they give them when they get out, is that really going to be enough for all week? Are you going to go in and wash that every single night? And, you know, get real. Now, a lot of the churches do have clothing banks and things like that. You don't have to go out and spend a fortune buying clothes for them. But get them something nice, something decent, not something. You You know, there's a joke about um, the preacher was talking about now it's Thanksgiving and we need to to get turkeys together for for the people who don't have money and all this stuff. And this woman looked at her husband and says, Honey, I think I've got a turkey that we've had for about 10 years. I think I'll give that to them. If you're not going to eat it, if you're not going to wear it, don't, don't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it takes a little while to get clothes, and it's got to be clothes that they're going to be able to work in, you know. So get them clothes, shoes, food. How far do you think that $35 is going to go? Oh, my goodness. You know, and, and our congregation has got um, a food bank. Now, we've had some people, we had one lady that came in and she says, well, I need money for food. And they says, well, we've got a food bank. And she looks and looks and says, "Nah, I don't want any of that stuff. (laughs) She wasn't hungry, was she? No, sir. So, but help them get food. They don't have to have, you know, the very best. I mean, I don't have steak all the time. They don't have steak every night. It would be nice occasionally if they did, you know. But. Uh, but they need shoes and food. Uh, it's going to take them a little while to get food stamps, you know. After that gets going they will need less and less. Uh, the girl that stole so much money from me, she was on food stamps, but then she would need food. Okay, well quit selling your stamps for drugs and then you'll have food, you know. Uh, they may need resources such as 12-step programs, alcohol anom- anonymous, ab- non- yeah, that word, anonymous, Anomino- yeah, that one, <laughs> anonymous, yeah, there you go, what she said, or celebrate recovery. And you know, one thing that we probably could do a better job of is once we find out where certain places are, the ones that have, of us that live close together. We can share resources. Hey, did you know that that over here you can get this and this and this and over there they've got clothes and over here they've got food. And we can share resources like that. We need to do more things like that. But if you know where these Alcoholics Anonymous are or the Celebrate Recovery or all that, get them in those classes. A lot of them are going to need that. And they may not succeed the first time or the second time or the third time, but maybe eventually they'll decide they really want to quit and they'll get off of the, of the drugs or the alcohol or whatever. Now, this is probably the most exciting thing and probably the thing that I want to talk the most about, mentoring. Probably one of the most effective things that we can do is mentor those, when those inmates when they're released. Uh, research shows that mentoring is effective in reducing recidivism for both men and women. The Ready for Work and Prisoner Reentry Initiative, these are joint efforts by the Department of Labor and Department of Justice. They've shown that community-based, mentor-supported, employment-focused reentry programs have cut recidivism between 15 and 50% compared to national averages. Participants who take part volunteering, uh, voluntarily uh, having mentors are, are more likely to find jobs, and 56% more likely to remain employed for three months or more than those who do not take part in mentoring. One thing that people do when they get out of jail, they're really, really good at, or when they get out of prison, they'll go get a job, and then as soon as their parole is over or as soon as they think they're safe, they quit the job and they go back to doing what they're doing. And so, you know, when you have someone that you are, um, th- that holds you accountable, when you have a mentor who contacts you and makes sure that you're doing the right thing, then you're more likely to stick with your job. Mentoring is effective. However, before you just say, hey, that's a great idea. I'm going to jump into this mentoring. I'm going to be a mentor. Then you need to look at some of the effective programs and model after them. There's some things that work, some things that don't. And you need to know, I'm a very, very gullible person. Very gullible. Now. I learned my kids, and after having them for three or four years, you know, I knew what to watch for and all this stuff. But this is a whole different thing. I've never been in prison, Um, and and so I don't know all the tricks and the trades like Naomi does. She's told me a lot of and I'm like, really? Wow. So before you jump into it, though, I've got some do's and don'ts. If you're going to mentor, be there for your person that you're mentoring. Don't enable them because many of the offenders are master manipulators. Guess what? So are special ed kids. Be there for them. You know, if you say you're going to mentor, then by George, mentor. Yes, sir. okay well for one thing don't give them money don't give them money uh if 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 they say I really need some food okay well come on I'll take you to the grocery and we'll get some food you know Uh, they want the money to buy drugs or or alcohol or whatever else they want cell phones or minutes on their cell phones or yes They're not ready. They're not serious about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I've I've had some girls say to me, Naomi, can you find me some minutes from my phone? You know, I got all these job offers coming in, and that's. And another thing, you know, if you say, okay, now I want you to call me on this day at this time and check in and let's see how things are going for you, see how your job's going. I want to hear about your job. I want to hear about this and that. And they don't call. And then two weeks later, oh, I'm sorry, Uh, I was working and I couldn't call, but uh, could I borrow some money? You know, (laughs) you can, you know, don't be gullible like me. I'm learning. And then you might can cut it back to every week or yeah. Yeah. It's also a learning process for us. Uh huh. Sometimes you know, don't you don't realize until maybe after the second or third term that they're not that they're using you. Right. Yes. And, and there's a lot of things online I was looking at about mentoring programs and they'll give you these things to look for and do. These are just some real general things that I came up with by looking at everything and I thought, yeah, that's that's really important. I'll include that. And I couldn't include everything, but these are some things I thought were really imp- important. Uh, yes. And, and would it be better for us to be used then for us not to do anything afraid we're going to get to be used? Yeah, yeah. So have the person that you're calling, like Naomi says, call you to check in every so often. She says once a day for three months. I think that's a great idea. You know, have a certain time. I need you to call me around this time. You know, you may not want to say right at nine o'clock because then if they're a few minutes earlier, a few minutes late, but say call me around nine or whatever and uh, and, be co- and be careful about having these people come to your house. Now, Naomi has been to my house, but not within the first few weeks she was released. <laughs> you know, you have to be careful uh, because a lot of the, the people are still out just trying to get what they can from you. They don't care. They care about one thing, drugs. Now once they're drug free then they start caring about their kids and different things but when they're on drugs they care about one thing and that's more drugs. Uh, set boundaries and keep the boundaries firm where they might take advantage of you. That's one thing last year our federal team did a workshop on boundaries and I had never read the book by um, Townsend and McLeod isn't that it? Yeah that's an amazing book. If you've not read that that's a wonderful book to read, and and it, it even has boundaries that you can set for yourself, boundaries for your mate, boundaries for whatever, and and that will really help you get a grasp on boundaries. Um, but you need to set certain boundaries, you know. Um, if they're proved that they're doing the right thing, trust them more. You know, if they show they're they're trustworthy. Don't make them keep on proving themselves and proving it. Trust them more. Give them more responsibility. Give them more trust. Uh, And gradually build trust in them. And I think I've said this about 15 times already. Don't give them money. If they need groceries, buy them. If they need bus pass, buy it. Find resources and share this information with other people. All of us that are doing the same thing, that live in the same area, we ought to be sharing with each other. Uh, and this is something that I came up with, and you may or may not agree with me, but I, I firmly believe this. A man needs to mentor a man, and a woman needs to mentor a woman. Uh, that way you don't get into all that love connection stuff. That sort of messes up everything. So a man mentors a man, a woman mentors a woman. Be sure to keep confidentiality with your mentor, I mean with the one that you're mentoring. You know, sometimes you may get really excited and want to go up and say, "Hey, guess what? This my my person I'm mentoring. They did this and this and this and that." And sometimes you may get real frustrated and say, "Ugh, I can't believe that they used me again." And you know what my mentor, the person I'm mentoring, did? And start. That ruins everything, ladies and gentlemen. Whatever, keep it to yourself. Tell it to God. He always listens, and he doesn't tell like the rest of us do. Because you know what? If someone hears. You telling something about them, you're going to destroy the trust. And you know what, it may be something you're real proud of, but this person's not. So don't tell anybody else about the person you're mentoring. Uh, you don't want your mentor, the person you're mentoring not to trust you. How many of you all, I know Glenda does, uh, remembers Clyde Thompson? Two of you? Three? You remember about him, his story. Okay. Clyde Thompson was known as the meanest man in Texas. There's a book out here at Don... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If you haven't read it, I don't like to read, and I couldn't put it down. It is an amazing book about Clyde Thompson. Uh, Did you read it? Uh-huh. When I was in college, he came to our congregation and spoke, and i I remember him. But he was on death row for murdering two brothers while he was in prison. I don't know if he killed or tried to kill more. Killed two more. And then he was in the hole for a while. Now, the hole's not like the hole today. <laughs> it was a hole. <laughs> and they put him in there, and he, he might have had underwear. Was that all he had, or is he naked? Yeah stripped naked and he had one little light that came through a hole in the ground and he stayed there for years he stayed there for years and his uh, his daddy had gone to church and so I don't know what it was about Clyde he said he, finally he talked to the warden and he says I want a Bible I want to start reading the Bible well you know why he wanted a Bible? so it could prove all the contradictions in the Bible well, finally the warden gave him a Bible and he started reading. And it did what it always does. It convicted him. He was baptized. He was on death row. He got his death row changed to, to life. And then he actually got out, obviously, because he didn't come to our church while he was in prison. So he actually got out. Um, <coughs> After reading the Bible so closely, he became uh, 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 he obeyed the gospel. He became a preacher. He became a prison minister. And one thing that he would say for a better world, beginning with me. You know, ladies and gentlemen, wouldn't that be an amazing thing? I can't do everything by myself. You can't do everything by yourself. You can't do everything, but. We can each one do something. So wouldn't it not be a wonderful thing for us to have a motto for a better world beginning with me? Okay, that's the end of my presentation. Have you all got any questions? Wow, I covered everything perfectly, and nobody has any questions? Uh, I think it's called The Meanest Man in Texas. hmm it's a pretty thick book, but you will not be able to put it down. It was an amazing book. Yes, sir. It's it's right out. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.